This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading by Kara Schallenberg. The Yosemite by John Muir. Chapter 5. The Trees of the Valley. The most influential of the valley trees is the yellow pine, Pinus ponderosa. It attains its noblest dimensions on beds of water-washed, coarsely stratified moraine material, between the talus slopes and meadows, dry on the surface, well watered below, and where not too closely assembled in groves the branches reach nearly to the ground, forming grand spires two hundred to two hundred twenty feet in height. The largest that I have measured is standing alone almost opposite the sentinel rock, or a little to the westward of it. It is a little over eight feet in diameter, and about two hundred twenty feet high. Climbing these grand trees, especially when they are waving and singing in worship in windstorms, is a glorious experience. Ascending from the lowest branch to the topmost is like stepping up stairs through a blaze of white light, every needle thrilling and shining, as if with religious ecstasy. Unfortunately, there are but few sugar pines in the valley, though in the king's Yosemite they are in glorious abundance. The incense cedar, Libocedrus decurrens, with cinnamon-coloured bark and yellow-green foliage, is one of the most interesting of the Yosemite trees. Some of them are 150 feet high, from 6 to 10 feet in diameter, and they are never out of sight as you saunter among the yellow pines. Their bright brown shafts and towers of flat frond-like branches make a striking feature of the landscapes throughout all the seasons. In midwinter, when most of the other trees are asleep, this cedar puts forth its flowers in millions, the pistillate pale green and inconspicuous, but the staminate bright yellow, tinging all the branches and making the trees as they stand in the snow look like gigantic goldenrods. The branches outspread in flat plumes and beautifully fronded, sweep gracefully downward and outward, except those near the top, which aspire. The lowest, especially in youth and middle age, droop to the ground, overlapping one another, shedding off rain and snow like shingles, and making fine tents for birds and campers. This tree frequently lives more than a thousand years, and is well worthy its place beside the great pines and the Douglas spruce. The two largest specimens I know of the Douglas spruce, about eight feet in diameter, are growing at the foot of the Liberty Cap, near the Nevada Fall, and on the terminal moraine of the small residual glacier that lingered in the shady Eliowet Canyon. After the conifers, the most important of the Yosemite trees are the oaks, two species. The California live oak, Quercus agrifolia, with black trunks reaching a thickness of from four to nearly seven feet, wide-spreading branches and bright, deeply scalloped leaves. It occupies the greater part of the broad sandy flats of the upper end of the valley, and is the species that yields the acorns, so highly prized by the Indians and woodpeckers. The other species is the mountain live oak, or gold-cup oak, Quercus chrysolepis, a sturdy mountaineer of a tree, growing mostly on the earthquake taluses and benches of the sunny north wall of the valley. In tough, unwedgeable, knotty strength, it is the oak of oaks, a magnificent tree. 
The largest and most picturesque specimen in the valley is near the foot of the Tenaya Fall, a romantic spot seldom seen on account of the rough trouble of getting to it. It is planted on three huge boulders, and yet manages to draw sufficient moisture and food from this craggy soil to maintain itself in good health. It is twenty feet in circumference, measured above a large branch between three and four feet in diameter that has been broken off. The main knotty trunk seems to be made up of craggy granite boulders like those on which it stands, being about the same color as the mossy, lichened boulders, and about as rough. Two moss-lined caves near the ground open back into the trunk, one on the north side, the other on the west, forming picturesque romantic seats. The largest of the main branches is eighteen feet and nine inches in circumference, and some of the long pendulous branchlets droop over the stream at the foot of the fall where it is grey with spray. The leaves are glossy yellow-green, ever in motion from the wind from the fall. It is a fine place to dream in, with falls, cascades, cool rocks lined with hypnum three inches thick, shaded with maple, dogwood, alder, willow, grand clumps of lady-ferns where no hand may touch them, light filtering through translucent leaves, oaks fifty feet high, lilies eight feet high in a filled lake-basin nearby, and the finest labocedrus groves and tallest ferns and goldenrods. In the main river canyon, below the vernal fall, and on the shady south side of the valley, there are a few groves of the silver fir, abius concolor, and superb forests of the magnificent species round the rim of the valley. On the tops of the domes is found the sturdy, storm-enduring red cedar, juniperus occidentalis. It never makes anything like a forest here, but stands out separate and independent in the wind, clinging by slight joints to the rock, with scarce a handful of soil inside of it, seeming to depend chiefly on snow and air for nourishment, and yet it has maintained tough health on this diet for two thousand years or more. The largest hereabouts are from five to six feet in diameter, and fifty feet in height. The principal riverside trees are poplar, alder, willow, broad-leaved maple, and Natal's flowering dogwood. The poplar, Populus trichocarpa, often called balm of Gilead from the gum on its buds, is a tall tree, towering above its companions and gracefully embowering the banks of the river. Its abundant foliage turns bright yellow in the fall, and the Indian summer sunshine sifts through it in delightful tones over the slow-gliding waters when they are at their lowest ebb. Some of the involucres of the flowering dogwood measure six to eight inches in diameter, and the whole tree, when in flower, looks as if covered with snow. In the spring, when the streams are in flood, it is the whitest of trees— in Indian summer the leaves become bright crimson, making a still grander show than the flowers. The broad-leaved maple and mountain maple are found mostly in the cool canyons at the head of the valley, spreading their branches in beautiful arches over the foaming streams. Scattered here and there are a few other trees, mostly small, the mountain mahogany, cherry, chestnut oak, and laurel, the California nutmeg, Torea californica, a handsome evergreen belonging to the yew family, 
forms small groves near the cascades a mile or two below the foot of the valley. End of chapter 5 Read by Kara Schallenberg www.kray.org On September 20th, 2006 In Oceanside, California